0: I'm Kim Raycon, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of Harper Academics podcast, Harper Academic Calling. Our podcast is designed to give educators and students, as well as every reader, a behind-the-scenes chat with a range of our authors, from well-loved favorites to up-and-coming debut writers about their books. academic calling, Sarah Collins. Of writing her story, Franny Langton says, a man writes to separate himself from the common history. A woman writes to try to join it. What are my own intentions in writing this? The simple answer is that it's my life, and I want to assemble the pieces of it myself. Mr. Defoe made a novel and a romance out of the adventures of a felon and a whore, so it must be possible that of my own life I could do the same. Sarah Collins' debut novel, The Confessions of Franny Langton, reimagines traditions of Gothic literature in 19th century Jamaica and London through the voice of a young, astutely acerbic black woman on trial fighting for her life, accused of two murders she doesn't remember committing. It's a novel that makes readers reconsider what they think of period crime fiction, slave narratives, and late Georgian queer lives, as well as a love story to literature and reading. I fell in love with Franny's voice with reading about Jamaica, something I'd not really done since Wide Sargasso Sea, and with what you'll learn was part of Sarah's goal, the depth of passion in Franny both in terms of romantic love and anger, the intensity of feeling both often denied space to Black characters and particularly Black women. Sarah Collins's The Confessions of Franny Langton is available now in hardcover and ebook from Harper and digital audio from Harper Audio. On the phone with us, we have Sarah Collins, author of The Confessions of Franny Langton. Sara, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted. Well, we are certainly delighted to have you. So I was wondering if we could start out with you telling us a bit about what your debut novel, The Confessions of Franny Langton, is about.
1: Sure. So Franny Langton is a young Jamaican woman who grows up on the Paradise Plantation in Montego Bay. In the early 19th century, she's brought to London by her owner, John Langton, who gives her as a gift to George Benham, who is a famous natural philosopher. He's described as the finest mind in all of England. Um, But very soon after, she joins his household, essentially as a servant. Uh, Franny meets his wife, Madame Benham, who is a very enigmatic French woman and she's instantly attracted to her and the feeling is mutual. The pair of them end up eventually having a love affair, which is very twisted. But months later, Benham and his wife are found murdered. Madame has been stabbed to death in her bed and Franny is found sleeping next to her mistress with blood all over her. And she has no idea how the blood got there and she insists that she couldn't have uh, done this terrible thing, that she's not responsible for the murders. In particular, she couldn't have killed Madame Benham because she's the only person she ever loved. And so we meet Franny um, as she's being taken into the Old Bailey, her trial's about to start, and she's got to find some way essentially of convincing herself as well as us that she's not guilty of these crimes.
0: And so, one of the things that I really like about your novel is how strong Franny's voice is. And it's it, the structure is sort of framed around Franny talking with. Her lawyer, John Pettigrew, and it is it is that frame which sort of envelops the narrative that, that you've just talked to us about. And so, so Franny's story is very it, it's a multitude of different kinds of story. And, and early on, you write, no doubt, you will think this is one of those slave histories, all sugared over with misery and despair. But who'd want to read one of those? No, this is my account of myself in my own life and the happiness that came to it, which was not a thing I thought I'd ever be allowed, the happiness or the account. Franny's story can be seen as many things. It is a personal account. It is a kind of slave narrative um, because she was property in the beginning of the story. She is sort of a different kind of of property when the story shifts settings um, from Jamaica to to England. And your novel is historical fiction, a genre that owes obvious debts to history, but one which allows historical situations and moments to be transformative. In historical fiction, the dead don't have to stay dead. Um, Historical fiction can let these characters live and perhaps live different lives or fuller lives than what history can actually tell us. So why was it necessary for you in thinking about the genre of historical fiction to give Franny the freedom to live her, her life the way that she has lived it out in your book? It's
1: the reason I wrote the book and the reason I wrote historical fiction. I had this long sense of being completely fed up whenever I looked either to history or to fiction for stories that would kind of Place me in some kind of context, mm-hmm. you know, my ancestors and what happened to them in the history of the Caribbean. Because the <clears throat> overwhelming impression I got whenever I read any kind of history, fictional or otherwise, was one of passivity, was one of weakness, was one where there weren't really any stories. So even though I suppose... The structure of a slave narrative informs the form of the novel in in some way it's really a subversion of it because the one thing that you never get in a slave narrative is a story just Mm -hmm. a good old-fashioned gripping story there was always this sense for me that when a black character appeared in a historical context that character was going to be a victim and there were very few exceptions and I was just quite frankly fed up of it so it was one of the reasons why I was drawn to historical fiction because I felt that that was a gap which still had to be closed Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the power of fiction, the power of writing, that you can, in a way, you can reclaim history and perhaps make it more emotionally accurate in doing so. And the one thing in particular that really stuck out for me, and I I don't think, um, I haven't managed to find one since, but certainly at the time I was trying really hard to think about A sort of proper gothic love story Mm -hmm. um, featuring a black protagonist who happened to have been a slave. And that was really important to me because I didn't think, I didn't set out to write about slavery, which is far too overwhelming and obliterating a topic to write about. Mm -hmm. But I did set out to write about a woman who had been a slave who fell in love with the same kind of passionate, obsessive intensity as you would have found or did find in Wuthering Heights or Jane Eyre, for example that was the gap I really wanted to close and why I was really excited about tackling historical fiction as opposed to
0: anything else. Let's talk a little bit about the the queerness that exists in Franny because that was something that I think um, was surprising the first time that I read the novel and it's also something that I think is is really wonderful and and really great about how you tell Franny's story and the kind of story that um, your novel is because Queer Lives Especially, so the novel takes place, um, it's, it starts out in the early 1800s, and then sort of we, we move forward in historical time to the, the, the 1820s, um, the mid 1820s. Queer lives aren't unheard of in that time period. They might have been thought of or called different things, given, uh, given what words were available sort of in the language at the time. Franny's passion is, and sort of passion is, as expressed. In, in love and in the, in the romantic feelings that she feels, but passion also in her anger. Those were things that, to me, reminded me of those two gothic novels that you just talked about, um, both of them by Brontes, Wuthering Heights <laughs> and Jane Eyre. It seemed to me that that is something that really separates Franny's voice out, that you, I guess, as long as, and forgive me if this sounds a bit too reductive, but that you allowed her the space and the freedom to feel with the depth and ferocity that she felt and also how that manifested itself in her relationship with uh, Madame Benham.
1: Yeah, first of all, hooray for the Brontes. Um, Exactly. Inspiration for my work. Um, And you're absolutely right about the love and anger. I like to think of those two things as the live wires of the novel and certainly, Franny's Live Wires, and Love and Anger are the two things that I had never seen enough of from black characters, well, from, from female characters, but from black characters in particular in, in this context, um, in this historical context, and and they both you know there there have been debates when i speak about the novel people people ask well were you worried about whether this might be seen as anachronistic and I, that is always an interesting question to me because it tells me how little we are used to thinking about black people in this way, mm-hmm. you know, feeling love and feeling anger are essentially expressions of humanity. They're natural. And there's no reason why people in the 19th century would not have felt those emotions in exactly the same way as we feel them now. The difference was whether they had outlets to express them. And I think what we're doing with, it, with historical fiction is imagining those outlets, outlets that didn't exist. We're actually imagining full emotional lives for, for these people. So it's really important to me that she would have an honest response to what had happened to her in Jamaica, uh, on the plantation in particular, and that part of that honest response was going to be anger, because anger is a logical reaction to the experience of oppression. Um, But it's also interesting that the person with whom she falls in love. Also experiences anger as a result of the way in which her life is circumscribed as a woman, albeit much more privileged than Franny in the sense that she's married a wealthy man, but a, a woman nonetheless who has intellectual ambitions that are stifled. She, she, they can't go anywhere and she's forbidden from writing. She's completely under her husband's thumb. Mm-hmm. And her anger was much more implosive. She directed it inwardly, mm-hmm. um, Madame did. And I think Franny's was much more explosive and became the narrative engine for the novel. But in a way, it's that emotion that kind of binds them together and is at the root of this destructive love, which you know is so Wuthering Heights. And um, you're right, it's a sort of a direct nod to the, to the Bronte's influence on my own work and the reason I became a writer.
0: And there's also a lot, if I had to say that Franny loved uh, two things, even though she, she directly contradicts me in, in a passage that I'm, I'm going to read momentarily, but if I had to say that Franny, that Franny loved two things, one would be Madame Benham, and the other would be books, because the other thing that really strikes me and, and something that I really love about um, the Confessions of Franny Langton is how... Much there is a sense of urgency about participating in and being included in documentary culture. There are a lot of books and there are a lot of authors. There's there's a there's a great bit of name dropping and also and also frameworking <laughs> in the Confessions of Franny Langton. And so at the at the near the end of the novel, Franny says there, that there were two things I loved: all those books I read and all the people who wrote them because life boils down to nothing in spite of all the fuss, yet novels make it possible to believe it is something after all. And so we get all of these mentions to to Keats, to Wollstonecraft, to Byron, um, to Shelley. Um, Ozymandias is is quoted a bit. Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre. Voltaire's Candide is, is literally shoved down her throat. And it's 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 amazing for me and i i've been trying to think when i started to come up with these questions and i have read and reread this novel a bunch of times now and i've been trying to think of other novels where you have a character like franny who has had access to so many texts and who is unabashed really in her love of reading and her love of literature and her love of what stories can can do to you there are a lot of places to go i guess with that sort of overall topic but to start why make franny love books and stories so much
1: before i answer that um you're you've just reminded me that after i wrote the first draft of the novel i reread frankenstein because i wanted Hmm. to get from it that sense of the the alienation that the creature experiences, Mm -hmm. and I was actually struck by how many connections there were between Franny and Frankenstein, which I hadn't set out to do deliberately, but they had bubbled into the text nonetheless. And one was that he also, you know, he develops his sense of self-awareness, which actually becomes his curse, if you like, Mm -hmm. through reading. And he finds a stash of books, and he educates himself, and he absorbs you know, Paradise Lost and the others. And it's the thing that um, gives him profound joy but also makes him realize how far apart he's set from the rest of society. Mm -hmm. And that was a kind of aha moment for me because it is exactly the same thing that reading does for Franny. She, you know, it's wonderful for her but it's also terrible for her. And it was very important to me to address that in the text. I am really interested in... Talking about the experience of reading, in particular, reading canonical texts mm-hmm. from people who are outside of because you know the canon still, unfortunately, it is, it defines and proscribes the mainstream, although that's changing. Mm-hmm. And
0: but it, but the but the can but that? the canon is white and male.
1: Yes, and what reading that does to someone who is an outsider is almost incalculable, but it certainly does harm. And I have always been—you know—I've—I've been a reader all my life. I have been books are the most important thing to me. The 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 response Franny has to reading is very much um, informed by my own experiences and my own love of books and reading. But but it is also harmful, and that sense of harm that you can't quite put your finger on is one of the things that drove me to write my own novel, the idea that um, if you're really immersed in fiction, in particular from a very young age, it it has a huge role to play in developing your sense of self and how you think the world sees you, which then dictates how you interact with the world and how confident or otherwise you are. And so not being there in any of the things that are being held up as, you know, worthy of admiration must do some damage. And the one thing that struck me when I was thinking about what kind of, you know, what a, what a character like Franny would have experienced, how I could explore the full humanity of someone like that, was precisely this idea that one of the worst things that would have been done to her would have been depriving her of access to that, that mm-hmm. um sense of escape through reading, that sense of self-creation through reading, developing a sense of agency through reading. But then, of course, once she got hold of it, what pain would come from that and how self-destructive or destructive in other ways would that be? So I was very excited about that, and it did it did kind of permeate the whole text. You forgot to mention Defoe's Moll Flanders, no, no, I... which is also a big kind of you know one of her favorite books, and as a kind of a cheeky nod to the to the fact that she has these sort of adventures and escapades like Moll does as well.
0: Yeah, Moll Flanders, and actually that was in, it was in my list, Moll Flanders, and also too thinking about adventures, also Robinson Crusoe as well.
1: Yes, yeah. Yeah.
0: So going back to going back to the Frankenstein thing, and I completely agree. Thinking about reading reading moments in Frankenstein, uh, and thinking about similarities between between Frankenstein and and Franny, I will have to wait longer for it than you will because I think it comes out in the UK in a couple weeks. But Jeanette, have you heard about Jeanette Winterson's new book or forthcoming book? Yes, it's, it's it, it, it could, today is I don't know if it's I don't think it's today maybe it's next week there I don't know but but she is telling at least from what I understand of it she is is retelling a version of Frank a queer version of Frankenstein yes uh, I had heard so we all have to read that and then we'll start a book club I think is what
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think I mean I think Frankenstein is such rich material for going off in all kinds of directions there you know it it actually does tell almost every story Mm. um and certainly for gothic forms, it's, uh, it's a real goldmine. And I went back to it, as I said, for my, for my own text. So it did inform the kind of subsequent drafting. When I realized where the echoes were, I, I deliberately amplified them. Um, because it was so significant for me that, uh, that you could... Essentially, it's the original tale of the outsider. And mm. that was what I thought Franny's story was. It was a real outsider story, an outsider trying to get in.
0: So is that what most appeals to you about the gothic as a genre? Well,
1: I mean, I think the gothic is really good for conveying that sense of alienation. Right. Um, It's also really good for talking about very dark things and... um, You know there may be a sense in which beloved is a gothic novel and perhaps the book of night women you know that that um that it is actually a really suitable vehicle for a story about plantation slavery given all the horrors that you've got to contend with that you know that there's the symbolism and the imagery is actually um is actually at times effective really quite effective but for me it was really just my first reading love my first grown-up reading love um, which probably started with Wuthering Heights. I can't remember which came first, whether it was Wuthering Heights or Jane Eyre.
0: For me, it's always Wuthering Heights over Jane Eyre. Yes,
1: Wuthering Heights has more of a pulse to it. And, mm-hmm. You know, it is just, uh, it's just a it's just a beautifully rich and immersive book and it was that feeling of being lost in that book which i read you know i loved it so much i reread it once a year during my late teens it was that feeling of being lost in the book that delicious feeling of you know it's something subversive it's not necessarily pleasant but you can't help yourself it's compelling and addictive anyway i think that's what really drove me to writing gothic There, there wasn't any kind of theoretical impetus behind it it really was just that pure reading joy which I wanted to try and somehow experience from the writing side Mm -hmm. uh, since I had experienced it so strongly as a reader
0: so something else that separates uh Franny the confessions of Franny Langton out um, from other novels is the first part of its setting it is set in Jamaica I am hard-pressed to sort of think of a lot of novels that I have read uh, that were set in Jamaica, which is probably a huge deficit in my in my reading knowledge. Um, Jamaica is very much an occupied place in a variety of senses of that phrase, and it elicits a bunch of different responses. You have a lot of people trying to, to reconcile how they feel about the place that they're in, thinking about Langton, his wife, and the people that... Langton owns. Franny Fibba, um, the 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 housemaid, I guess. Two things struck me thinking about Jamaica. One is when Langton's wife says that this whole godforsaken place was designed for killing Europeans, to which Fibba replies, if it was killing you, what it doing to us. And then also <clears throat> thinking about Langton's Jamaican estate. Um, he calls it paradise, and one of my favorite parts in a collection of favorite parts from this novel is in the second chapter, it's the, it's the last bit of the first paragraph of, of chapter two. You write, if he said something was to be, it was. But Langton was a man who'd named his own house Paradise, despite all that went on there, and named every living thing in Paradise too. What more do I need to tell you about him? And that was just like hit me right between the eyes the first time I read it I absolutely loved um, the voice and I knew that I was really going to dislike Langton a lot so why why Jamaica I mean you could you could have said it anywhere maybe it has also something to do with with your background as well but why bring our attention to Jamaica especially during this particular time period
1: So many reasons, but I think the first one I have to mention is that I I am Jamaican, uh, although my family left Jamaica when I was very young, Mm -hmm. um, so I did not grow up there. But I think in a way, writing about Jamaica is part of a lifelong project of mine of, you know, always trying to find my way back to it in some way. Um, Also because of the time period it was a very interesting limbo time in the Caribbean and in the British colonies in the Caribbean because the slave trade had been abolished in 1807 but it took some time before the the people who were enslaved at that time were actually emancipated so you had a situation where the, the trade was illegal so there was no what the planters would have called fresh supply um, but they were still able to keep enslaved the people that they who they had under their control at that date. So for you know the next more than 20 years, the brunt of that fell on them. You know all of the anxiety of the planters about the future of their livelihoods, all of the demands of keeping these plantations running and all of the demands of producing new slaves, which is a, you know, a really horrible aspect of um, uh, the conditions that ensued in the Caribbean as a result of the Abolition Act, which is hard ever talked about. They all fell on the shoulders of the people who were left there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought uh, that is obviously such a... Ripe opportunity for exploring um, exactly what happens when you t- when you feel self satisfied as if you 've addressed the problem and you turn your back on it half finished which is, which is what I think happened with slavery um, but then the other reason is that in Jamaica, so Jamaica had this reputation of being the most violent of the colonies, and it's still kind of talked about in the Caribbean today, and, you know, in a, in a joking way um, among other Caribbean people, which um, annoys Jamaican people about, you know, this sort of legacy of violence that the most, that you know, it was the most violent of the colonies, and life there was pretty harsh and pretty miserable. Um, it was this lush, beautiful place, but with that lushness and beauty came this like sting, this real sense of danger and lawlessness, and. Uh, it could as a result i think almost become a character in itself you know that gothic mm-hmm. setting and and in fact i wasn't the first person to get there because the the book i always had in mind was white sargasso sea yep. by jean rees who which did such a good job of conveying that kind of oppressive and dangerous setting um <clears throat> the the mix between the beauty and the spite of the place if you like but i really just wanted to spend time there i wanted to i wanted to kind of to, to show my love and so i've written about two places i love jamaica and london because i um i have traveled between the two and i've loved them both but i wanted also to be honest about them so there's this mixture of love and honesty which results in an exploration of both the beauty and the the um, absolute despair of both places i guess you could say that you know how good they were but also how evil they were and then the way that you know you, you can kind of divide you can divide people in the novel um, by the way they react to their settings, so whether they're satisfied or not, how, how easily satisfied they are. And the interesting thing for me is that there's this huge sense of dissatisfaction with two characters, in particular, you know, Miss Bella, who's always moaning in Jamaica, and Madame Benham, who's always moaning in, um, in um, London, in particular, in, in the Benham household in, in um, Leavenhovel. And what that means about um, how privileged or otherwise people are and how that affects their experience of the world. And that goes back to what you were saying about, you know, the the conversation between Miss Bella and FIBA, when Miss Bella is the one sitting on the porch being fanned and having her feet washed. By these women who are really suffering to make her life luxurious and pleasurable, but she's complaining about how the place is killing her. And I just thought that was an irony that um, that perhaps was worth exploring.
0: And also drinking tea, yes, in in the heat. <laughs>
1: drinking tea spiked with rum. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> There's a darkness in Langton's. Paradise. Well there are there are any. And one of them in particular is the science that happens there. Why include that science part in Franny? It's it's a story it's a story of many things. To me the, the science part is, is a is a vital, important part and it's also something that when I first read it it was unexpected to me to sort of to, to see this. So when I stumbled across it it was unexpected as well. Oh really? I, I
1: included it for that reason because it actually happened a lot more than you'd think, Okay. and it's much more well documented than you'd think, but yet it is so little referred to. And that, th- that was what surprised me, that I stumbled across it. When I was reading for, I think I was researching the novel, but I came across Andrew Curran's book on the anatomy of blackness, Mm -hmm. and it was eye-opening to me how much of the ideology justifying slavery had been built on this kind of pseudoscience, um, debating whether or not black people were human beings, which I had, I had a vague idea about, everyone does, but the, the extent to which it was organized and the extent to which the science at the time was respected and was actually um, coming from the minds of some of the great thinkers of the time, that really surprised me. And that we've inherited some of those ideas. So, you know, we've inherited a history that was built on this conception that it was debatable whether or not black people were human. I think that's why I wanted to use it. I felt, I, I felt A, it was, it was very good gothic material, Absolutely. going back to the Frankenstein idea. But also, it was something that needs to be talked about, and it's not something that we've sort of closed the door on and left behind in that time you know we still we are still there are still people debating the link between race and iq Mm -hmm. and, and taking you know taking it seriously as a topic for discussion and so it's something that i don't think we can afford to ignore um and then and then i also wanted some I was very reluctant, as I've said uh, many times before, actually to write about slavery. I kind of dragged myself to writing about it kicking and screaming, and one of the things that bugged me was that it, it has, unfor- it's unfortunately that kind of topic where people think, oh, it's a novel about slavery. I know exactly what it's going to be. I don't need to read it. And, and you know, I'm maybe even guilty of that myself that, oh, it's just going to be full of victims and it's going to be full of suffering. And, you know, of course, it's horrible. And that is, uh, in a way, it, it prevents people from doing anything else with it because the suffering is so overwhelming. And I was looking for a way. To talk about how horrible it was, because I think you have to confront that mm-hmm. without resorting to the stereotypes. Um, and so, you know, the idea that there's more than one way in which people suffered came into the novel in relation to these experiments, but also in relation to Franny's level of involvement in them. So, the other way in which I was really interested in thinking about the harm that slavery did is uh, the fact that Franny is put in a position where she has to bargain. She has to make really unpalatable bargains, not only for the sake of surviving, but for the sake of thriving, for mm-hmm. the sake of bettering herself. And she carries a lot of guilt and shame about that with her to London. And, and this science was very much wrapped up in that, that, you know, that, that it's, it was a way to pursue an education at a really huge and horrific personal expense and expense of the people around her. And, you know, ultimately she questions whether it was worth it.
0: I think the thing that separates that separates Franny's story out is that she's she's very unaf- she's very unafraid to use her words, right? To fire back at at people. She is she is unafraid to speak her mind and she and, and other characters are too. I'm thinking about Laddie Lightning. He is also unafraid to speak his mind and to engage in discourse and verbal reposts with people who are trying to sort of box him no pun intended I just realized that I did that uh to, 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 to box him into a, to a particular corner and so yeah it when you just said right now about thinking about you know the tragedies but not wanting not wanting your novel to be a sort of collection of of sad story after sad story I was I was thinking about it and I'm like there is actually a lot of sadness here, but you sort of get the sadness through the back door if that makes any sense because because yeah. people are okay. so willing to, to to sort of to speak back if you will.
1: Yes. I'm glad you think that. And I also hope that there's a kind of irreverence about it. Honey um, is often very tongue-in-cheek.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: which I think might have a lessening effect. You know, that she um, she's not just telling a straight story. She's offering a commentary. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, she's actually more occupied in a commentary on the kind of manners and mores of English society than anything else, which, which I found very amusing to write, and I hope can be amusing to read. Um, and so that balances out the more difficult aspects of her story. And Laddie the same. In fact, he has even more freedom because he's a man mm-hmm. who kind of reinvented himself in England to, to speak his mind. And he develops his career as a public speaker, a very accomplished and well-known public speaker for the abolitionist cause in London. And so the two of them, for me, it was a really lovely way of thinking about what people might have wanted to say had they had the freedom to really speak their minds back then which which perhaps you know they weren't able to if franny actually alludes to people who um, you know, the real, the, the, the real black speakers and thinkers and writers of the time, including Equiano and Sancho, who wrote much more muted because they were writing with an agenda and the agenda was to change the minds about white people who um, were not really acknowledging their full humanity. I think as a result they wrote much more muted accounts of themselves and so this was a way of experimenting with what might people have said and thought and, and done if they had real freedom Um, to be as acerbic and as humorous as they liked about their situation as tragic as it was and um, and so I hope that Franny and Laddie convey
0: a bit of that. So just one more question for you and it is a question we ask all of the guests on our podcast since this is primarily geared toward teachers and their students who is your favorite teacher? it's funny
1: you should say that I have such a story about this Kim perfect so my favorite teacher was my English teacher in high school at my boarding school in England named Mrs. Mountcastle And Mrs. Mountcastle was such a huge influence on my life, including being one of the first people who told me that she liked my writing, in fact, that she loved my writing, and that really responded to it, that I named her in the acknowledgements to the book. But, and you know, I hadn't spoken to Mrs. Mountcastle since I left high school. She lived somewhere in the south of England, and I didn't know how to track her down, so I thought, well, I'll leave it there. One of my old friends read um, the book, read the acknowledgments and and messaged me and said, oh, this is lovely, you know, have have you sent it to Mrs. Mountcastle? And I said, well, I have no idea how to find her. And she said, oh, leave it with me. So she teamed up with another old friend. They scoured social media. Mrs. Mountcastle is not on social media. They did some detective work. They tracked down family members. And to make a long story short, they found her. Um, and I was delighted so they've actually delivered her a copy of the book and she and I have been in touch and it honestly is one of the happiest things that's happened to me as a result of having the book published Um, because I feel like we've come full circle and and so she's reading it now and I had to just keep my fingers crossed that she will enjoy it
0: I'm I'm that was a wonderful story number one and number two I'm absolutely (laughs) sure that she that she will enjoy it that's so so great
1: Well yeah, Sarah, I really loved it. it you know, it's been one of those things that I will treasure, one of those memories I will treasure about Franny coming into the world.
0: Oh, that's perfect. That is absolutely perfect. Well, Sara, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Kim, for having me. It's been a pleasure.